Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Rampbox TV. I am joined today by published author Martin Schreiner. Schreiner, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, John? Been a long time. Um, yes, it has been. Um, I'm curious. Uh, we have the subject of diversity as chosen by yourself, diversity in literature. Um, what does that mean to you as a writer, Martin, when I say that? Diversity in literature to me means the full array of the human experience portrayed sympathetically. And, and I don't mean that we can't have bad or evil characters from diverse or, or you know, backgrounds, but uh, that, that we sympathetically deal with those diversities within and, and be true to their backgrounds and their lives. So that's basically what it means to me. Okay. Um, when did you become aware that this was something that you had to address as a writer? And what have you done since that awareness to put that into being? I became aware of it pretty much when I started writing. Um, I came from being Irish, and I don't want to bang on about this, but being Irish and, and having certain levels of prejudice to me in the past because of my, I'm that old. <laughs> um, uh, I wanted to, if, I'm, if I was doing Irish characters, I wanted them to be a lot less shillelaghs and leprechauns and more, you know, people with depth and slums in Dublin and, you know, that kind of thing. T the true definitions of what being Irish is. So from that point, I, want, I always find a mismatch. So then, as you start to write, you then have to start portraying other characters who are not from your ethnic background or whatever. Um, and it's very important, I thought, from the very beginning to be sympathetic to them. It, it led on to me to actually doing, when I did The Silver Mist, I had to write it as a first person. Uh, I thought it would only work well if I wrote it in the first person. And it, and it portrays the, the experiences of a Down syndrome uh, woman, and uh, I, or a woman with Down syndrome. So, and I wanted that to be true to her as a character and true to people who um, live their lives. Yes. Sure. No doubt you had to do research regarding that character. What kind of research would you do if you were writing a character who is black? I mean, would you write that character? So two questions there, I guess. Well, yes, I would. In my next planned books, there is black characters. Um, and I will talk. I'm actually going to do research very in depth because the characters from New York, the main black character that isn't about from New York. So I want to speak, I have a friend from New York um, and he will hopefully, if he agrees to it, we're, we're very we're good mates, so uh, hopefully he will agree to give me a perspective of being black in New York at this present moment in time. So is that that authenticity and that, that, that um, can go into the character? I think it's important that you cannot do it any other way. Uh, anything else is appropriation. If you want to represent somebody's voice in your book, you have to represent from that community. You have to ask them. You have to ask some straightforward questions. Is this okay? You know, it's as simple as that. Because it's, I'm gonna, it's no fault of mine that I wasn't brought up black in New York. Uh, it really is not no fault of Claudius is that he wasn't brought up Irish in, in Belfast, you know. So, um, and if he was writing a book, I would hopefully hope that he would come to me and ask, what was that experience and are you happy to put it? So that's how I will do it. And I will do that for the other diverse characters in the book. Sure, sure. 
Can you tell me more about um, these characters in terms of their idiosyncrasies beyond their, their race? Who are they? Or is it still something that you're still kind of forming and want to keep on doing? Well, this is, we're kind of keeping it under wraps at the minute, but um, they will be... Um, the, we've, got a, we've got a few different characters. Um, I wanted to put this... Because of the scope of these books as, as global, I wanted to, to include global voices. Oh. So I have... Um, I have um, um, a, a person of uh, Chinese and Cambodian descent albeit that they're first, per, uh, first generation British living in London. Uh, I have a friend who I will be asking to give me that dynamic to the character. I've got the, the guy in New York. He is, he is essentially working class from, from a mixed background and, and basically um, is, is, a, is a science nerd. That's it. He's a science nerd. Um, I don't like using the word nerd, but he is, he's, he's, he's a geek. I'm a geek. You know, it's, that's it. I'm proud to be a geek. The geek shall inherit the earth. Uh, <laughs> um, and he's he's a 100% science geek, and he's into weird science, and that's it. You know, and they will they will um, strive that way. So yeah, it's it's not. Of course, nobody's life is ever about just their gender, or their ethnic background, or even where they were brought up. People change. People um, move forward. People grow. Um, and uh, people change political points of view. Those are all things that happen. And if you can get that truth into the character, you've done it. You, you, you can give yourself a take on that. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, it'd be remiss for me not to talk about, say, the other side of this um, particular topic. There are people like, say, Lawrence Fox, who, um, well, won't be shopping in Sainsbury's anytime soon, apparently, if uh, last tweets were anything to go by but what do you feel about people who think that diversity is being forced into um, view that for example the characters you're talking about shouldn't necessarily be given um, a podium because of their background that essentially that there isn't a problem well that's the tyranny of the majority isn't it you know it's um, we, we're, we're the majority we don't need to listen to other voices. Um, I'm going to be as sympathetic to their point of view as possible. I think it stems from um, lack of confidence in themselves. Uh, and I also think it, uh, with that lack of confidence, it builds a fear. Um, there's a certain element of, we want things to stay the same, albeit that, they, but when they say the same, it's a kind of a false reality. They have developed a mindset around a false reality that, that, that predisposes the world to look a certain way when it looks completely different. At the end of the day, as I said before, the world is global, it's diverse, it has different uh, skin colours, it has different creeds, it has different, you know, it is it's so much, this is the truism of the world, not this narrowed box of, um, of, of, fake reality essentially so the likes of Lawrence Fox he's just living in it he's doing himself a disservice as well a major disservice because he's not experiencing life he's experienced one tiny little aspect of life and fighting really hard to control it so also I'm gonna call he, come, he does come from a very privileged background <laughs> yes um strangely enough he's 
quite um, divisive simply because of he will say one thing and then do something that completely harms even his um, his his argument, which if it was presented in a certain way, could probably sway some people who are in that middle ground. He hurts it by some of his actions. He called the guy who runs Stonewall a pedophile the other day. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know if, he, if he's starting like Lawrence Fox to, if he wants to do a political party, then I think he has to figure out how you communicate is going to be a large part of what gives people respect. Um, and that seems to be the respect that he's asking people to give him, but he doesn't know how to earn it. I mean, what are your thoughts? Um, I'm going to be straightforward here. He comes from an acting family. He grew up as an actor. He's basically rolled into the system and uh, he gets people to write the stuff for him that he needs to say. Whenever he actually has to say something, uh, he's devoid of ideas because he's not... I don't think he's actually... You know, a lot of these people, you know, they're not secure in their point of views. Mm. If they were secure in their point of views, they wouldn't fight so hard for it. You know what I mean? If, you, if you're secure in what you believe, you can elucidate it. If you're not secure, you shout loudly. That's basically it. And you rage against things that you perceive are wrong. And that's not right. That's no different to raging against the things that are that are truly discriminatory. But this building of a false discrimination against white men, and I will rage against it and all the rest. It's, it's ludicrous. I'm sorry, it is. It's ludicrous. And I remember I did a tweet. The, day, the one thing I got very angry about was that one, the, the, the tweet about the, the, the family, the, sorry, the, the advert about the family, I think it was an Argus one, where they're, they're just eating popcorn. Right? And then the, the whole world went nuts about it. The whole went nuts. The UK went nuts about it. And I went, well, not the whole, but these groups went nuts. And uh, I had to put a tweet out and say, go away and have a word with yourselves. Because really, I saw a family eating popcorn. I don't know what you were looking at, but you're obviously looking for something to offend you. So I have um, something to say about that, which maybe it cast a net a bit wider. Um, ultimately, we've known for a long time as postmodernists, as post-structuralists, that adverts lie to us. And so therefore, if you see an advert and you see a construction and you're not used to that construction, then you're going to point at and go, that's, that's not right. But you could apply that to pretty much any advert. Um, but obviously those who are, um, of let's say, people who are racist, <laughs> they will see these adverts with black people um, eating food in the places that they um, shop at. And because they haven't really been able to see these people as people and just as a, a reciprocal for their anger, then they'll point at and go, that's a lie. And it's like, you're just pointing at the advert. All adverts are bullshit. You know, these people don't care about you. They just want to make their money. You know, your, your favorite soap opera was made just to sell soap <laughs> yeah, yeah. and commercials and whatnot. So I think that's what they're really pointing at, but they don't, they're not cognizant of it. Um, uh, they could, they could be, they could be pointing. Out. They could. Be, I don't. I don't give them the credit of perceiving the lie. That's not their, what they're looking at. What they do, what they are looking at, is they have this fake reality, where where nothing outside of what they want in their nation or in their box should be allowed. So what happens is, so the, the argument usually is, is, oh, this represents only an n percent of the of the of the. Uh, public or the population, it shouldn't be represented. Well, okay, then I will say that that advert is the end percent of adverts. Sure, sure, sure. So there you go.
Um, I have a proposition for you, simply because you're at a stage where you're keeping things under wraps regarding um, certain characters, particularly the black characters in your up and coming uh, writing project. Um, it sounds like if you were going to get a, a Lawrence Fox character in or that kind of um, uh, viewpoint expressed, it would be very easy as a go-to to have that character be Caucasian. Um, I've been tricking my YouTube recently by signing out of it and then not signing back in just to see what videos pop up when my own sensibilities aren't being uh, pleasured. <laughs> you know, the masturbatory <laughs> aspects of the algorithm, as we know, will show us what we want. Um, and through that, I found um, quite a few speakers um, who you may or may not have heard of. There's a guy called Coleman Hughes, um, and he is a 24, 25-year-old Black American scholar. Um, and he is probably framed as being quite conservative because he doesn't necessarily agree with um, the, the idea of, say, wokeness, for want of a better term. Um, so he is part of that pushback, which makes things less polarized for um, you, the writer, or for anyone creating a fiction, because not having that voice in there um, might leave a whole area left to be discussed. How do you feel about, say, slight of right of center conservatives who are black having a pushback against your uh, criterion? Um, it's, well, yet again, if I'm going to be sympathetic to, the, to this individual black character in, in the novel, they would probably be quite conservative in their outlook. Pro comparatively to other people, it might be a dynamic that I'll put in. Remember that I'm building a character, so we can bolt bits on if we can give, if we can authentically bolt bits on, we can give the character more nuance. Because at the end of the day, when we write books, we're essentially writing entertainment. We're entertaining with stories. So we want to, as well as give the broad base, we want to also have entertaining characters. So, uh, you know, people like evil people, people like this. Um, yes, it's easy to fall into the white black man evil, or, sorry, white uh, uh, privileged person evil person in the uh, in the it's a very easy it's very easy to follow and it's been done a million times yes the challenge is to find it another way and of course if you go to other parts of the world it's it's other people that would be probably prejudiced or whatever prejudice isn't, isn't a lone thing it's a, it's 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 quite common across um, areas of the world but for the purposes of a novel i would be where is it placed what authentic it is and yet again, you're going to say this is the this is the key thing about the writing process is the flipping the character, getting the reader to predispose or pre-think that this person is a certain way, and then discovering oh actually, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, so I, so yeah yeah you never know. I, I haven't written it yet, but you never know how that will come. Sure, sure. Um, arguably, it's a, a very difficult time, I'd say, um, to be a writer, or maybe replacing the word difficult, challenging. <laughs> because even though um, the idea of, say, writing by committee is something that happened in a, a soap opera or a film or some other, say, shared um, creative experience, when you are the lone novelist having to literally put your own stamp on everything, whether it be the characterization, the history, hell, even um, the, the, the very ambience of a, of a certain scene. 
um, you have to now consider all these different philosophies which are calling for your attention. Um, so when you do work within the world of diversity, um, or at least having that in your, your, your novels, um, are there any particular guidelines that you've had to actually figure out for yourself in terms of being honest, in terms of what you want to write rather than what maybe perhaps um, your friends and followers would uh, demand or expect of you to write on this on this topic. Well, from for the future, oh, these are heavy questions, man. <laughs> yeah, for the future, for the future novels, do um, we use the word challenging? It's actually quite exciting. We have now opened up, and we've opened up the second paint box, if you like, and when we're doing our watercolor. We used to work with this. Now we're working with this. Uh, so it's like, you know, we, we had bland colours and pastels. Now we've moved up into, we've become Van Gogh. You know, it's, 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 it's opened up into, so yes, it's, it's, it's exciting. We can, we can now play in a new sandpit, if you like. As long as the people we're playing with say to us, uh, yes, that's, that, that, that'll be, it's, it's not my committee as such, but I will get, uh, the character will be mine. The character will be a, a construct of my mind, but uh, it will be um, when we finish the book, when I finish the book, I will channel it across to the people I've talked to to say, is there anything in there that could be deemed stereotypical, cliched, you know, uh, lazy writing, all these kind of things. That's what I want to take out is the lazy writing. You, you touched it in yourself, the idea of the the, uh, the Harvard-trained white lawyer being the evil guy, when the Harvard-trained white lawyer could actually be the good guy, you know. Uh, and so, what is um, the nature of, of evil or, or bad, if not a different ideological take on data and how to deal with that particular data? Um, so you could obviously make that sympathetic uh, character if they were black and conservative, even more um, alluring and inclusive of people who want to understand that mindset more. Because it's not like you're, you're making it up. I mean, you're using actual um, archetypes that haven't really been given a certain, say, um, prominence in, say, media, you know? Like, I, I will mention mm -hmm. these names like David Lowry and whatnot, and you may not necessarily know them because they're not always being shoved into our faces via mm -hmm you know, the Guardian or even the Times, you know. I think the thing to be, I think the thing to remember, when I'm writing a book, I'm writing a book. I'm not writing a political treatise. I'm, I'm, I'm not writing, I'm not, I'm not pouring my politics into it. I'm not trying to bang a drum in any way. I'm writing a novel about characters that I invent and how they will respond to various challenges that are put them. And if they flip, they flip, and if they don't, they don't. And this is, the, the, the key thing about diversity is not, not, writing caricatures, another version of caricature, albeit an agreed one. It's about writing the character as they are and, and seeing them as they are. And we can say, it's, I'm, not, I'm not writing political books. I did with Trump with Thinskin, that's pure parody, but you know. <laughs> Indeed, and we'll definitely get to that um, Trump with Thinskin very soon. Um, it is Black History Month, and I did promise before we press record that it would be more of a conversation and truth, uh, to tell whenever I am pressing record, I find myself becoming Mr. Interview Guy, and I've just been barraging you with some heavy shit. That's okay. Yeah. Got any questions um, for me and pertains to this subject, then please, this is your time to do so. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
I've got the how do you feel about a white Irish 57 year old man uh, bringing black characters into fiction and being true to them how do you see this is this is a good question for me I say as a novelist because I'm actually saying you tell me what you think are the the, the touchstones that I should be Sure. Um, there's two things that come to my mind. One is that I can't dismiss it outright because of your age and your background. I'm keen to see the book first. Second thing is, which is kind of converse, is that um, we've had many people, even if they are not from Ireland, but they are of a certain uh, skin type, which will afford them a certain privilege and culture and therefore different experiences. We've had quite a few people like that writing people that look like myself. And obviously because of the way um, these things can be systemic in terms of where um, people who read the books and pass it on to the publishers and whatnot all actually hang out and converse, there is a system where people who look like me may not necessarily get the same chances to get their book out there. So those are my first two reactions, not necessarily mm -hmm. knee jerk, but yeah, that's what I'm thinking about this. I mean, I, I want to read it and then I can say even more about it. We seem to be in a culture now where people are very happy to talk about stuff uh, based on a review that they've seen or a synopsis they've heard of or a friend that's told them rather mm -hmm. than the actual entity. You know, the simulacra has become mm -hmm. uh, the reality, so to speak. Well, that's interesting because um, uh, touching on these characters will drive will drive the story and at the end of the day novels about the story I, I, it's a start middle and end that's just all it is and it's driven by the story um it's because you write what you what you know i will have based it in certain places that i am familiar with however i am branching out into um, my subject matter is so totally absolutely global i can't base it in my experience so i have to to go out and research heavily so that i can actually write it luckily i'm surrounded by an awful lot of people from diverse backgrounds who can who will be my guides through and it's a series of stories so that this, you this, have to develop these things yeah. some issues that you may may not have even conceived of in the first maybe uh installments you can kind of fix retroactively later if you have to with a lot of careful surgery i'm sure actually not really in this one because there's three distinct thousands of years between them timelines so the first novel is current it's it's today but the second one is thirteen thousand years ago and uh the last one is 40,000 years in the future. So uh, yeah, there'll be there'll be a lot of historical research for the second book and a lot of, well, just pouring great fantasy and that's going to be so much fun to do when I do it. Uh, this one, as you say, is the challenging one. This one, getting this right is the is the key one because I, I think the story is a good one. Yet again, it's a story. I don't want anybody to be thinking that I'm going to be banging any political drum with it. There is an awful lot of stuff in there. There's conspiracies. There's everything that's alive. We wanted to write a novel for today. Everything is alive. The conspiracy, the QAnons, the, 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 uh, the, the weird science, the, the political maneuvers. They're all part of the novel, but given from the perspective of two distinct characters uh, and how they, they navigate this world as they discover things about themselves and the world 
that no. they never knew existed. Um, I often think of books as living entities that in order for them to be given life, you have to understand and dismantle parts of yourself for it to be true. Um, and in doing so, when you actually do read back that novel, um, at least in the final stages, they, if you've done something that's of worth, it's going to in some way, you know, do some surgery on you. Have you ever written um, a diverse character that helped you dismantle aspects of your own understanding of yourself? Yeah, yeah, when I did the Silver Mist, very simple, when I did Eve Hayes, um, th that was it. She was, uh, she's based on my cousin. Uh, who I grew up with, and 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 he had he had Down syndrome, and um, many parts of the elements of her personality is his. And yet again, remember, I'm only observing him. I didn't live his life. I only observed his life, and that's really only all a writer can do. A writer writes an awful lot of characters that they create from observation. They do not actually live the lives of the people they create. Um, I've only lived my own, um, but the. Uh, the, the character was based on, on my cousin and a lot of the things that she does is in there. And the whole idea behind that novel came from this idea of people with certain levels of uh, mental challenge or whatever have a, have a lower place in the human um, experience. And I wanted to flip that and say, what if, it actually came from what if, was what if our perception of everything that we do is completely skewed and it's us who are worrying about jobs and things and all the rest that we are the mentally challenged and the other people um, like Down syndrome or whatever are are the more enlightened and that's what I wanted to, to flip. Now that really was it was the most interesting book I probably have and ever will write, write because just exploring Eve's own perceptions of reality. Commendable, commendable. I think um, maybe it's something we're aware of, but we seldom put together, especially in these video conversations. But as a culture, we've always been fascinated by what's happening on the outside. You know, if you're a youngster in, say, uh, early 50s Britain, you're interested, if you are into music, in what's going on with those blues singers in America. If you're a kid in the 70s and you're keen on something outside a 20-minute solo by, by Yes or Pink Floyd, you kind of want to know about those punk rockers. We, we want to know about these other marginalized voices. And it's only in our recent times that being interested in those things comes with a certain kind of baggage, um, which arguably, for those who don't really look through all that baggage, they think of it as a problem um, and just want to go back to normal, whatever the fuck that was. Um, so yeah, I, I just thought I'd put that in there. Yeah, that's good, yeah. Um, it, whatever the fuck that is, is, is perfect because there is no normal. Uh, the nature, yeah. I, I studied quantum physics. The nature of the universe is distinctly not normal. The universe changes. You know, I always, there's one of the things that infuriates me this, right, being, having a science background, is people say, oh, Darwin, surviving off the fittest. No. When he said fittest, he said most adaptable to, adaptable to change. It's the survival of the species or whatever that's most adaptable to change because change is the single truism of the universe. And um, that's, that's why embracing the world as it is, rather than these little predefined boxes that you put, people put themselves in, is a lot more liberating than they actually perceive. And that's what it is, it's liberation. It's liberation of the mind.
Indeed, indeed. There is something behind you that we're going to start talking about now. Um, not metaphorically, but actually behind you. On that wall, Jean-Paul Finskin. I can barely say it because I've got a lisp and I'm quite nervous when I talk about, about, about other people's books. But tell me all about it. Save me my displeasure of being embarrassed okay. about talking to one of my mentors. What's going on? Well, well the tales of Trumpel Thinskin is exactly what it says. It was, um, it was the brain chat, well it wasn't a brain chat, it was a question from my publisher who basically put an email right to all of us and said, uh, we, we have to do something, the, the, the election. My, my, uh, I have a North American publisher, so they put out and said, um, the election's coming up in November, we have to do something. So I basically just threw back in the email 500 words of a pitch of uh, the Trumple thin skin character, as it would be in a grim fairy tale kind of thing. And uh, so he just within the day wrote back and said, right, I'll have three of them. And I hear that you can draw, so draw them as well. Um, and that's where they came from. Um, so we, we I decided on three distinct parts of the subject matter's history. Uh, uh, the first one was a certain deferment from, from, from going to the Vietnam War. Uh, the, the other one was, was a few years ago when he came to visit uh, the UK. Uh, and the third one is uh, about the impeachment process. So we have, there was a bone spurs in the land of Oak, uh, Oak and uh, the Trump with Thinskin and the gigantic peach. Okay, okay. And presumably if he were to win, or sorry, if he were to lose this election, um, you would do the fall of Trump or Finskin? Um, and if he wins, you would do the inevitable rise? I don't know. What's, um, I guess, God, questions there. What do you think we about the election and what would you do about it either way? <laughs> we, we, have, we have these conversations all the time because he's the gift that just keeps giving. If I had the time and energy to actually do I could be knocking out a book a week with this stuff. It's the, the subject matter is just such a parody in himself. It's, it's endless. Right, for example, we, you know, whenever the books come out in July, they were due to come out on the 7th of September because of COVID and that. Our printer said, can we, you know, you're probably advisable to put them out, aren't they? Because there's going to be distribution problems with this. They've all ironed out now, which is thankful. Um, but, um, you know, we, we then put on the website, there was a thing that went on, so these are the three books, we're thinking of doing a fourth, and we threw some ideas, right? So the idea was, that, you know, he goes to visit the land of Braz, which is Brazil, to see Bolsonaro, Bolsonokio, I think it is, right? And uh, he does, some, there was another idea in there and all the rest, and like, within a month, they became moot, you know, we'd, we'd moved into another set of things that can be parodied and then we're now in a complete different one like just from last week from last last tuesday we were talking with myself and the publisher talk should we do one around the debates you know oh, well, we probably wouldn't get it out in time and then by two days later oh, god that's gone we're, we're now into something else you know so uh, i think yeah we'd be if he doesn't get re-elected we would probably do a fall book if yeah. he does get re-elected we're in this for the long haul. There's four more years of stuff to go. So. Sure, 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 sure. I have to ask you um, a question based on what I was saying last time, because it's been rattling around in my head. Um, we're living in a post-Borat uh, 1 world, yeah? Um, Borat yeah. 2 is coming out. Um, and so I can't help but think of the parallel between what you're doing with Trump 
and your literature. Um, how effective is what you're doing in terms of um, addressing Trump's issues when we are living in such a, a post-structuralist world when it comes to comedy and satire? Did you have any challenges there that you'd like to share with us? Uh, no challenges. Uh, the, 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 the impetus behind all the novels was essentially something that's been, that, that came up in conversations with the publisher on that day was very simply is I want to do the equivalent of the Hitler has only got one ball song. Right? In the middle of the Second World War, countless people, millions of people were being murdered in various different places through various different methods, whether it's concentration camps or, or carpet bombing or whatever. Right? It, it, it was a horrendous time. And in the midst of all that, people's hopes were buoyed a little bit in, in certainly in Britain here, with the Hitler has only got one ball song because it gave them a chance to uh, parody, belittle, if you like, and, and make a comical character out of what was a very serious issue and a very serious and, and, and mentally misaligned person, you know, so. Sure, sure. That's sure. really what we wanted to do. It, I'm not making, a, I'm not really making any political comment. I'm taking an event in, in, in the subject matter's life. I'm turning it into a, a, a comedy story book for adults. And hopefully people will get the entertainment from that. And, you know, we get that kind of Hitler's got one ball thing. Sure, 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 sure. Um, just because I, I want to stay on this foot because I, I think it's got a wealth of, uh, of intellectual uh, proposition in it. Um, your example is from uh, a time when arguably there was less pushback in that way. Now there's a whole sea of, of memes, of GIFs, of article upon article, some documentaries which will take Trump and uh, make him into a figure of fun. Isn't there a danger in lessening his, um, from your point of view, his threat by making that happen? Uh, no, I think I'm giving fuel to the people who want to push back. Uh, I think I'm giving, yeah, I think I'm basically giving them fuel for the fire, essentially, is that, is that uh, we can defeat um, evil for another word, but you know, the darkness and blackness of the world, we can defeat it if we come from a position of not becoming it. So the, 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 the great delight in the parody, going all the way back to Punch and, you know, those magazines back in, in, in the 1800s, that level of parody is what has the effect. Plus the other thing is, is that we're in this situation with Trump, essentially. He only really engaged heavily into becoming president. He had skirted around it and all the rest for a number of decades and spoke about it and said that, oh, I want to become president and that. But when he started the birther movement, and then it came to that roast, that comedy roast, where Obama went on stage and so delightfully roasted him and make it, made him a figure of fun, that really got him. That's when he started to turn the gas up on becoming president. Uh, because his leg, it, it, at that, I don't know about now, but certainly getting the presidency, I believe, was I am going to undo his legacy. 
I'm going to undo Obama's legacy, whatever, whether you agree with it or not, but I'm going to undo that legacy because he poked fun at me. He's that narcissistic. So this is an important truth. To a narcissist of his quality and degree, this kind of thing is one of the great weapons. Sure. I love satire. And satire is a certain, it's, it's, it's benign. It's better than throwing bombs at people. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> This is great. Um, there will obviously be um, links for people to check out your work in the description box of this video. So please do check that out. Um, I want to, in closing, I want to talk quickly about Spitting Image because they have a similar situation in regards to what you have and what maybe Borat has as a, uh, maybe a fence to climb or a wall, so to speak, that they have to really figure out how to go around. How do these puppets that we, we used to see, you know, <laughs> in the 80s, how, how do they figure um, in the early 90s, how do they figure in our, in our landscape at the moment in terms of making that uh, punch for one of a better term? I think, I think, I think uh, Spitting Image is a good example because we had it in the 80s. It was very effective in the 80s. If you, if you didn't know it, its effect in the 80s, certainly here in Britain, the effect it had is that it softened the Conservative Party to the John Major side of it um, rather than the, the Thatcher side of it. And it, it had that effect because of, because of parity. I think that we're getting spitting images come back by popular demand now is because people want that. People want the, the satire. They want to see the people who they who, who are setting themselves up as authoritative figures, but hasn't done anything to deserve that position of authoritative figure, being pulled down off their pedestal that they've set themselves upon. Um, because at the end of the day, a lot of this is lies. Like, like, it, it's just lies. So basically, whenever party can satire come up and say, do you know it's lies? Look. So yeah, yeah. that's what I say. Um, this is intriguing because there is the whole furor about the Greta Thornburg puppet and how uh, people from, for want of a better word, the, the left or the woke community as it um, mm -hmm. stipulates themselves in that field of uh, ideology, they were upset about the look of the character. Um, and again, we haven't seen what the character is going to be doing, but is there a danger in terms of how spitting image may um, back uh, step on the few characters because they do not want to upset certain people. I mean, where is spitting image going to go? If you if you draw the line at who you upset, right, you'll never do anything. That's a, that's that's just a, um, you, yet again we're back to what we were talking about earlier. You can yes. be sympathetic. A key one here is: Has anybody asked Greta Thunberg? I'm sure she'd be flattered. I don't know. But she'd be flattered, you know. I, I know I, you know, it, when, when you do parody, it's it's the caricature of the person. That's what they do. They do the caricature and then they take some stuff that they've said and they twist it around a little bit and they put it out. And yes, Greta Thunberg probably is a, is a larger light character anyway, and she's going to be in the thing. Uh, you can't just pick the people that you parody for the sake of that you disagree with them politically. Um, 
This is true, this but those caricatures back in the day were often sculpted um, by people who had a certain viewpoint on the ridiculousness of Thatcher and how she, in particular, interacted with her fellow conservatives. Um, what viewpoint will they adopt today? Has that viewpoint changed due to the way that culture, as we can see it, has become ever more polarized? Um, they've got a big, big journey ahead of them. They, they have a big journey, but I think they'll do it the same way they did it before. Let's take, for example, Boris. They will pick on something on Boris. And they usually, what they usually do is they pick on a trait or something. They did. I always liked the one back in the day was Norman Tebbit. He was always a leather jacket with a flick knife, always trying to steal money out of something. Or, you know, he was smashing a telephone box or something in the background. You know, and, and that was picked on just something that somebody said in a newspaper article or something. And, they brought that. and you know, and, and when they did the, the, the Queen, they were, you know, I always loved that one was, uh, was the, play, the, the royal family playing Monopoly. They said, this is mine and this is mine, <laughs> you know. And, and they, believe it or not, I think they did it slightly. They, they did have a certain sympathy in it. Yeah. They got the comedy out of it. And yeah. I think that that's something they can do now because it's the same guy involved. So. Sure, sure. I mean, there is um, two things. One, it was never a level playing field before when, it came, when, when you look at the press and how they treated political parties. But the second thing is, um, considering um, Gorb Corbyn's treatment by the press, how is that unfair playing field going to be uh, represented by these puppets? Will Corbyn even necessarily be in it, considering that he is no longer the, you know, the, the leader of the Labour Party? I very much like oh, really an image. Yeah. I'm realizing this now. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think he'd be in it really, um, because news moves. Well, events move so fast now um, that um, if you, you think it, it's only it's only what less than a year, and you know people are switched off to the, you know that Corbyn actually was the leader of the Labour Party, and he he brought them through two elections, and. And so people, people, it's, 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 uh, oh, that's done. This, we live in that kind of world where we just flip on the next thing and now ah, that's done. You know, that's over. That's to be forgotten about. But there's a danger in that as well. So I don't think he's going to be in it, but I think he should be in it. Right. Okay. Um, intriguing. I, I find that I'm almost, if not definitely, falling into the issue that I talked about earlier about the, the, the harming nature of over-speculation. We'll wait until Spitting Image actually comes out and I think we'll do this. Yeah, again. yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we haven't even seen it yet, yeah. Uh, um, please do plug your literature and books one final time before this video ends. Go for it. Okay, uh, at the moment I have out, um, I'm, I'm originally the writer of The Silver Mist was my book. Um, and uh, I used to work with the Ed Greenwood group, so I, I did a book called Dark Creed, which has been, been pulled back for now but it's due re-release in about four years time. Uh, at the moment my books out are the Trumple Finskin trilogy, so that's Trumple Finskin and the Wizard Bone Spurs, Trumple Finskin in the Land of Oak and Trumple Finskin and the Gigantic Peach. They're storybooks for adults or they're not, there's not actually any adult material but they're, they're that kind of uh, parody and satire um, and you can find out more at the thetalesoftrumplefinskin.com or Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you, bricks and mortar shops, wherever you buy your books. And yeah. I hope whoever buys them, I hope you enjoy.
Excellent. Thank you so much, Martin. Guys, do check out his work. My own work wouldn't exist without certain people being part of my life. And Martin was definitely instrumental to that uh, <laughs> happening. So to speak. Thank you. I don't like that. I've read your stuff. You're terrific. <laughs> Thank you. Please do check out his work. Um, Rampbox TV has a video going live every Friday. There was a video before this. There'll be a video after it. Thank you so much for your time. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, John. <laughs> Thank you. Bye.